Yes, hello, Neil Tyson here. Hi. You're listening to Science Versus, the show where we usually pit fact against fad. Researchers have been celebrating a breakthrough. But today we are bringing you the highlights of my extended interview with American astrophysicist Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me. Thank you for your interest. Neil is the director of the Hayden Planetarium in the American Museum of Natural History. But most of you will probably know him as the host of Cosmos, which was a remake of Carl Sagan's documentary series of the same name. Neil also hosts the podcast Star Talk, where he invites scientists and comedians to have a chat about the world. And there is a chance that you will know Neil as the killer of Pluto. That's right. While Dr Neil deGrasse Tyson has said that he was really more of an accessory to the former planet's murder or demotion, really, let's not get carried away. It's just a planet. Or not, it's not a planet anymore. Right. Anyway, Neil has really been the human face behind Pluto's demise for almost a decade, and that means he gets a lot of hate mail from pissed off kids. Hashtag Pluto shame. He's just a dumb physicist. Fuck Neil deGrasse Tyson. We'll find out how that all went down a little bit later. Neil is in Australia this month touring his show, and this interview was originally recorded for the Saturday paper. The feature article I wrote from the interview is on their website. Oh, sorry, Neil, we've just got a beep that's coming through the line. Oh, they've been beeps the whole call. All right. I've been hearing beeps just in my head. And, <laughs> and it's better if we both hear the beeps. We'll just press on, but I'm sorry about that. You'll hear that beep every now and then. Let's begin. Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson was born in New York City and raised in the Bronx. He counts his first proper night sky as one that he saw on display in the Hayden Planetarium. He was nine years old. And yes, this is the very same planetarium that he now serves as director. It's all very, very romantic. In the past, Neil has said that when he looked up at that simulation of a sky, he was immediately drawn into space. But I wanted to know why space and not the other things that he would have seen at the museum that day, like bugs or dinosaurs. You're right. There are many other possible forces that could have operated on me. But in that day, uh, it was the universe, which is why I wonder whether it was in fact the universe that chose me and not I who chose it. And yeah, I was hooked ever since. It stimulated a kind of cosmic curiosity within me that enabled me to return to the facility to see all the space shows and all the exhibits. So it set me on a journey, a a cosmic journey. At night, and I say, doesn't everyone want to know what's up there and where we came from and where we're going and is there life out there? So to me, these questions were so deep and profound, deeper and profounder than questions in my, than that other disciplines were asking. They were just based on Earth for goodness sake. And these questions were extending into the known universe. So that had a potency that fed my curiosity like nothing else. So Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson followed that mission and after finishing high school, his first stop was Harvard to do a bachelor degree of physics. And while there, Neil joined the wrestling team and met this very clever economics student called Frederick T. Smith. He's since passed away. But at the time, Frederick planned to use his degree to reduce poverty. And Neil has told this story, it's up on YouTube, that when he met Frederick and told him that he was studying astrophysics, Frederick, as Neil recalls, said... The black community cannot afford the luxury of someone with your intellect to spend it on that subject. Now, Neil was someone who had this amazing drive to study space. He thought the cosmos chose him. 
So I wanted to know how a young Neil deGrasse Tyson coped with being told that. It was very hard and it stuck with me for years and years and years. I would successfully that advice, but I carried the kind of burden of not doing so the whole time. It wasn't until I saw myself on television answering a question posed to me by the media about solar flares and some a blob of solar energy was headed towards the earth and would we be okay? And I say, yeah, we'll be just fine. This is a chance to go north and look for the aurora borealis. Were I in Australia, I would say go south and look for the aurora australis or the southern lights. And I said, wow, I've never seen someone of my skin color interviewed for just knowledge sake. Oh, are you helping the underprivileged? Or are you, you know, it's always some other sort of social cultural need. Then I realized that, well, maybe more people need to know that people with darker skin colors than they have can become engineers in other fields that you wouldn't stereotypically associate. And I realized that that would, might have a greater force on society than anything my fellow wrestlers told me. How do you think we're now going with representation say smart people who aren't just white on television? I think there's some, there's some progress and I, I don't have a, a silver bullet to solve that problem or that challenge. Uh, what you want is that everyone is in a profession at the same ratios that they are in a population. I think that's unrealistic. In a free society, you want people to be able to free to choose in whatever way they want. Demographics prefer one thing, one activity or profession versus another. That ought to be embraced rather than resisted. The problem is we don't know, we don't really have the confidence, I certainly don't have the confidence, that opportunity at all levels of this of this exercise. Only if you are convinced there's equal opportunity can you then say, okay, if the numbers are higher or smaller, that's just the demographics, rather than pointing to bias against one demographic group or another. So Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson has spent a big chunk of his career educating people about science. And along the way, he's met a lot of people who are quite anti-science. So I really wanted to get his take on why he thought that some people are so aggressively anti-science sometimes. And for those people who listen to episode 10 of Science Versus, Science Versus Science, you'll know what he says here. I, I, whether without anybody going to the moon... You don't have the daily headline reminder of the great achievements that science makes. That's one small step for man. We all have smartphones. The smartphone is talking to GPS satellites orbiting the Earth with an accelerometer that is counting how many steps you're taking and a built-in camera to take images that you could then text to someone halfway around the world. This kind of inched up on us on a level where... Most people who use their cell phone are not stupefied by how powerful it is. Yet it's all science. So I fear that people in modern science for granted, thinking that, of course, we've always had cell phones, we've always had GPS satellites. And if you do so, then you are disenfranchising yourself from the moving frontier of scientific innovation. Because you yourself that you don't need to continue to innovate because you have everything that you need or that you want. 
And, and that's, a, that's a dangerously short-sighted posture to have. Neil recently tweeted to his over 4 million followers, the next time anybody asks me about my religion, I think I'll reply Greek Orthodox. That was retweeted over 7,000 times. People care about Neil's religion, and in case you're wondering, he tentatively cites himself as agnostic and perhaps as a rather unrelated sidebar. One of his favourite musicals is Jesus Christ Superstar. So I wanted to know why Neil thought that people cared so much about his religion. They want validation and of their own opinions or their own views. And I, it seems to me that if you're educated and empowered with the capacity of, of curiosity and investigation, you don't need anybody's validation for anything. If I tell you the sky is blue, I don't need your validation of that for me to feel good about that statement. That's just a statement. When you venture into opinions, people want to see how many other people have their opinion. For me, I don't give a rat's ass if someone shares my opinion about anything. I don't make a big deal of my opinions. I don't try to convert anybody. I don't make give talks on my opinions because I don't care if you agree or not. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. I'm not going to start a movement to get vote one way or another or to ascribe to one religion or another religion or no religion. So, no, it doesn't mean I won't have an answer for you if you ask, but that will not be a platform that I will ascend. I'm an educator, and it's, I see as one of my tasks. You to think. Get you to think. Not to get me to think for you. And if I get you to think, then you won't care what my opinion is because you'll establish your own opinion based on evidence and based on facts, based on objectively. Once you have the data, make whatever the hell opinion you want. So... That's my opinion. <laughs> okay, so now the Pluto story. In the year 2000, so this was six years before NASA's New Horizons spacecraft launched, the Hayden Planetarium made this new exhibit of the solar system and Tyson was director at the time. Now, his team decided that Pluto wouldn't be hanging out with Mars and Neptune and Earth and all the other cool big planets... No, no, no. In this exhibition, instead, Pluto was to be placed with some kind of small rocks that had recently been found way out in the solar system. And that doesn't seem like much, but a year later, the New York Times ran this article about how only in New York, Pluto is not a planet. One planetary scientist interviewed in the piece called it absurd that Pluto should be demoted. Well, 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 six years later, indeed, the planet was officially demoted. So, okay, Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson was right. But the people have never really forgiven him for it. And here's just a sample of the wrath that he gets. At 47 Young 1. Hashtag you are not a nerd if Neil deGrasse Tyson is your idea of a sex symbol. Hashtag Pluto shame. Well, damn it. I love you, Pluto. And he's just a dumb physicist. The blood of Pluto is on his hands. Planet killer. At Neil Tyson. What's the difference between Pluto and Neil deGrasse Tyson? Pluto has a heart. Hashtag don't be a Pluto hater. If Pluto has moons, Neil deGrasse Tyson. All right, I'm no Pluto lover, but I just wanted to know. So I said, you've gotten this a million times and I'm going to make it a million and one. What's your beef with Pluto? 
Oh, that's a billion times, and this is a billion and one. Right? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I have I'm just trying to give people the assortment of arguments that they might have missed, and they might be cherishing Pluto out of their emotional investment in what it is as a Disney's dog, or there are other factors that can influence what people want to be true. But almost everyone I know who loves Pluto doesn't know that our moon is five times the mass of our moon. They say, well, I didn't know that. Oh, and did you know Pluto would drag where Earth is in our orbit? The heat from the sun would evaporate that ice, and it would grow a tail? Pluto would have a tail sitting where Earth is right just embarrassing. You can't be a planet and have a tail. You know, comets have tail. So, so I'm just presenting this information. And then I'll hand it to you and do what you want with it after that. I'm not going to hit you on the head. But I'm betting that if you were really lover, you didn't know half that information. Now, this does fit into this quote that you once told The New Yorker, which was, in practically every idea we have as humans, the older version of it is not better than the newer version, but we sort of have this unrealistic nostalgia for the past. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think if uh, the people who make discoveries are not the ones who are nostalgic about the past. They might read the past and learn what mistakes were made and learn how clever people can be their limited technology. Fine. But to wish you were still in the past, uh, I certainly don't. <laughs> and I can, And every person of color and woman in the world not be wishing that they were in the past because it was not <laughs> whatever it was. It was worse in the past for those two demographics. And so I always think about the future and maybe some of that's just being American because we, we kind of like doing that, but I'd like to, it's just being human. There's what the world is today. Can I make it a better place tomorrow? Can I use my intellect as a scientist or a technologist to lessen the suffering of others and create a future that we can all be proud of? Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks. And that's it for my interview with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this was originally recorded for an article I wrote for the Saturday paper. That's it for Science Versus. I'm Wendy Zuckerman. Listener.